You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, the 2nd of May. Uh, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for tuning in. Beautiful morning here in TW11 for this uh, bank holiday Monday. So much good racing to come. Of course, this is Kentucky Derby week. I will be off to Louisville tomorrow and my reports will come from there for the rest of the week. But for today, we will be largely reflecting on what we enjoyed over the weekend. The Kipco 2000 and 1000 Guineas, the first British Classics of the season. Success for Godolphin with Caribus beating Native Trail in the 2000 and Cache providing young trainer and new market George Bowie with his first classic winner in syndicate ownership as well. High, th- high clear thoroughbred racing and the unifying force with both victories, successes for James Doyle. His first uh, domestic classic followed briskly by a second and becoming the first rider uh, since Ryan Moore in 2015 to win both guineas on the same weekend, but this time for different trainers. As I welcome in David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. Uh, How did you enjoy that, Dave? I enjoyed it very much, Nick. I thought it was one of the best Guinness festivals I've been to for for quite a long time, principally because each day threw up a really good story. Uh, James Doyle on the first and the second days. Um, And of course, Cachet's victory yesterday was, it was the, the affirmation, wasn't it, that this prodigy, from the training ranks, George Bowie, aged 30, began training in 2019, having spent, I think it was seven years as the assistant to Hugo Palmer, and in fact, ran one of Hugo Palmer's yards uh, during that time. It was the affirmation that he really deserves and will have his place in the highest echelon of his trade. Cache was a 16 to 1 shot. She had won the Nell Gwyn stakes at Newmarket's Craven fixture. She went off in front and I think it got pretty hairy for the for the connections, the uh, wildflower branch of the Highclere Thoroughbred Racing Syndicate inside the, the final 100 yards or so as Prosperous Voyage, a 33 to 1 shot, uh, made ground relentlessly but in the end a neck separated a pair and so it was a very good story I thought the the um the filly cost 60,000 quid at the breeze up sales and you'd have to be I think an arch uh, Corbynista and not to feel a a sense of joy at the members of this I think it's fair to say well-heeled syndicate I don't think there are too many uh plumbers or brickies among them uh hooping and a hollering in the winner's enclosure afterwards as you say uh, this was also an, a momentous time for for James Doyle he waited 17 years for his first British British classic um and then two come along in two days Listeners to the Nick Luck Daily can't say they weren't told about Caribus because when you interviewed Charlie Appleby last autumn, he, I think it's fair to say, uh, made out a case for Saturday's winner beating 
native trailer and, and being uh, the best miler or the better miler of the two at three. And that's how it turned out. It was Caribus who triumphed by three quarters of a length. And, and this was a, a well-earned day in the sun for James Doyle. He's had agonising defeats in the 2000 Guineas before, notably, of course, with Kingman, although Barney Roy uh, took the silver medal from the race as well. And this, you, you felt that this was the, uh, a definite sense of laying a ghost to rest. He's had ups and downs. Remember earlier in his career, James Doyle considered taking a plumbing course and leaving the sport altogether. He had that job, of course, with Prince Khaled Abdullah, which was uh, why he rode Kingman uh, during 2014. Then there was the tie-up with um, Saeed bin Saror, which didn't work out. Subsequent to that, he's been second jockey to Charlie Appleby. And although that's a job that many in the weighing room would give their eye teeth for, of course, it does bring with it a measure of frustration because most of the time you're watching Will Buick boot home the first string of the Appleby horse. So um, the, the, the two jockeys are very close. They describe themselves as best mates. And so uh, Will Buick was the first to congratulate James Doyle after that landmark victory. And then, of course, like London buses, we wait for ages, or he waited for ages, and two of them come along at once. And you mentioned Will Buick. Will Buick could have been on both classic winners because Cachet was his ride as well, but because he had to ride Wild Beauty for Godolphin, James Doyle gets on, on Cachet. So uh, double spoils for Doyle over the weekend. Very popular successes as well. What else united the two horses? Well, they were both uh, by, out of the same broodmare sire, uh, Tiafilo. I'll be talking to the breeder of Cachet very shortly. It's an amazing story as well. He picked up the dam for just uh, three grand. But uh, first of all, I checked in with, with George Bowie to ask him how he was feeling now the dust had started to settle on his first classic triumph. It's, um, it's still quite hard to process, really. I, I hoped it might happen, but you never really... You know, it was, it was trying to get her to train on was the first thing, and then she won the Nell Gwyn. And you know, to go on and win a Guineas, I don't think it's been done since um, Speciosa won the Nell Gwyn Guineas double. But, no, look, she's a... She's an outstanding filly and it's, it's nice to see her go and take the, the massive step up to win a Guineas. Yeah, just to put that into some sort of context for our, our international listeners, Speciosa won the Guineas in 2006. And of course, we spoke to Pam Sly last week as well. So it's been a, it's been a long time coming. You were pretty oh, bullish is, is too strong, but you were quite confident after the Nell Gwyn that she'd take a, a pretty big step forward. But you'd have been forgiven for thinking, yeah, trainers always say that when they when they win a trial. What gave you that kind of confidence? Um, her, her work at home, you know, I obviously know her very well. And, and she just, you know, she had a good blow after her last bit of work when William rode it before the Nell Gwyn. And actually, I think I... My, probably my biggest truths are told to my dad and I said to her, you know, I said she's she's probably a gallop short but it's a long year and, you know, we've got bigger targets. I know it sounds a bit mad not having her A1 for the for the Nell Gwyn but it's a long year and, you know, I'd love to end up back in America at the end of the year and from mid-April to, to November is a, is a long time. So, um, yeah, she did step forward and William Buick came and sat on her sort of eight days ago from the from the race and you know he was very very pleased with her and you know, I don't think he'd have wanted to ride any other horse if it wasn't for his commitment but um yeah look she she looked physically to a step forward she 
looked a lot better in her coat and, and obviously um obviously did step forward I can hear your your phone buzzing away with more me- messages of congratulation this morning. It must have been a a whirlwind few hours, hasn't it? Yeah, it's um, I, I, it hasn't really sunk in. You know, it's um, it's an amazing achievement for for everyone here. You know, we got to work this morning, and there was a buzz before the guineas, and you know, the buzz this morning is amazing. And you know, we were, we were a very small team sort of 24 months ago it's obviously growing and growing and growing and you know we're getting a better type of horse and and it's just great to to sort of prove that we can do it on the big stage you know we've won a lot of low grade races and that was at the start that was my aim but it was more just to try and prove to people that we could we could do the job and to have a horse winning at the highest level so soon is um it's very special uh, and of course, it's not your your first dip in in classic waters. You did have the Oaks runner up last year with a with a horse who didn't cost very much money either. So you've done it, you know, twice now, and getting getting these fillies to completely outperform expectations in terms of her own immediate future. Does the program pretty well map itself out? Irish Guineas, Coronation Stakes, and so on. I, I think so. I I actually didn't put her in the Irish Guineas because I think a mile at the Curragh you know what could be slower ground isn't really her isn't really her gig and look, she's she's in the french guineas she she may well go straight to ascot though um as i say it's a long year and we know that she handles the traveling and the breeders cup at the end of the year has to be has to be a big you know probably one of her main targets for the year so um but yeah we'll go to ascot and We'll see. I haven't. I haven't spoken to Harry yet this morning, but um, we'll have a we'll have a chat and see where we go. George Bowie, there still you, you sense slightly dazed by the by the events of yesterday. I mean, the key news point there is that it's likely that Cachet will go straight to Royal Ascot and bypass the the Irish Thousand Guineas. He said the French Thousand Guineas remained a possibility. The Poule d'Essai de Pouliche, and that's in common with Caribus. It's, it seems as though both. Uh, new market heroes will head straight to Royal Ascot, which more and more, Dave, is being seen as the key destination, isn't it? Yeah, the staging post of the year now, is, as as Bowie was saying, Ascot and the Breeders' Cup at the end of the year. That's what he's looking to, these big festivals. Yes, I think that's fair to say. Um, Native Trail will go to Ireland for the 2,000 guineas. The, the third home in the 1,000 Tuesday, Aidan O'Brien said she might stop off at the Curra for the 1,000 en route to the Kazoo Oaks at Epsom on June the 3rd. But yeah, I mean, I suppose, particularly with Cachet, um, the High Clear Thoroughbred Racing Syndicate, they would, if you gave them the, the choice of going to the Curra or going to Royal Ascot, there's absolutely no doubt where they would go. But certainly the uh, the Coronation Stakes and the St. James's Palace, as you say, are they're now really the, the logical next stepping stone uh, for winners of the of the 1000 and the 2000 guineas i think that's very fair to say as far as the the 2000 guineas is concerned just how big a star do you think caribus could be as you said it was hardly as though charlie appleby was hiding this horse's light under a bushel incidentally i'm not i'm i'm not going to uh, um puff this podcast up any more than you're ready to at the beginning of the show but if you do want to go back and listen to what charlie appleby said just for curiosity's sake i did yesterday uh 
episode 321 episode 321 last september when i asked him the question who do you think is your best two-year-old and native trailer already won a group one in ireland and he said yeah we've always thought caribus was potentially the best so uh why you and i didn't take his advice and just basically get completely stuck into him all winter for the guineas i shall never know but there you go more full us and uh, well done you if you did take his advice Yes, there was an element of teeth gnashing about the result on Saturday. For those of us in attendance on the Roly Mile for the Dewhurst Stakes last October, of course, Caribus had won the Autumn Stakes on the same card. Charlie Appleby gave the opinion that, that he thought that Caribus could be the better of the two horses. And on Saturday, their starting prices were 5-1 to one and 5-4. to four. So, of course, it doesn't take Archimedes to work out that, in hindsight, Caribus was uh, the better value bet of the two it, he was uh, beaten just once at two that was when mugged on the line uh, by royal patronage in the royal lodge stakes he had traveled to the front on the on the bridle and then inexperience had found him out but they're both two outstanding looking horses you could see that in the paddock on saturday um caribus i think has every chance of taking very high rank among the milers of recent years. And there's also the possibility that he could go up in trip as the season progresses. Some important news as regards the key classic trials for the Derby uh, and the, the Queen's horse, Reach for the Moon, who was the most talked about horse last autumn for obvious reasons in her Platinum Jubilee year, looked to be a genuine Derby contender. You've been speaking to John Warren. Uh, what did he say? Well, he said essentially that they were going to make a decision about the Dante Stakes at York on Thursday week in the next couple of days. Um, my reading of the situation, for what it's worth, is that, is that they will make a, the announcement that uh, the Son of Sea, the Stars, will go for the Dante. But equally, John Warren was apt to stress that, the, that uh, progress has been particularly slow with Reach for the Moon this spring. Remember, of course, that he didn't run in the 2000 Guineas and that his two-year-old season uh, was curtailed by injury. Uh, Warren told me yesterday, we've been chasing our tails to try and get him there, I get into the Dante. Uh, they're not machines, so they just take a little time. Obviously, he's in such great hands and John is not wanting to press any buttons too soon. That's why it's all delayed but we're getting to the point now um he told me he was planning to talk to her majesty the queen last evening uh, to discuss plans so as i say it, it's clear that progress has been slow with reach for the moon but i suspect that they will in the next couple of days nominate the dante as the colt's target this is a, a, a brilliant opportunity potentially for horse racing uh, to get on the front pages the platinum uh, jubilee derby being at epsom on june the 4th so let's hope that all goes well with reach for the moon over the next week or so but you can bet your bottom dollar that for all I'm sure Her Majesty the Queen would dearly love to have a runner in any year's derby, and particularly her Platinum Jubilee derby, if there's any doubt that the horse can give his, his, his best running, then she'd be the first person to say, I'd rather you were patient and, and wait until, say, Royal Ascot or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, um, both for, for the owner and the trainer. We know that John... Goston this spring of course in spiral was the winter favorite for the 1000 guineas and she didn't go to that race because the Goston team said she's been too slow to come to hand during the spring Goston's a man of uh, incredible accomplishments and of great experience he knows that uh, that you'll do more harm than good uh, by 
trying to rush, reach for the moon to an early target. And so we'll have to wait and see. I just hope that if uh, if she doesn't, if, if he doesn't uh, make Epsom on June the 4th, this doesn't trigger another rash of uh, cries to take the derby uh, back to the place it had a couple of years ago uh, during the lockdown to the beginning of July. And of course, it was a, a terrific day for, for John Warren yesterday. Not only Her Majesty the Queen's uh, bloodstock advisor, but also the man who, with his son Jake, tends to source the uh, bloodstock for high clear thoroughbred racing. They picked up cache, as I said at the beginning of the program, for sixty grand. And you've heard the story from from Tattersalls the last couple of weeks as well. As a as a breezer, cache's dam, Poyle Sophie, was acquired for just three thousand in full with uh, with cache in utero by Hyde Park studs John Burke. Um, wow, John Burke, as you uh, as you woke in Bordeaux this morning, um, assessing some lovely youngsters to to add to your team, I thought not a bad place to reflect on on breeding a classic winner. Good morning. Oh, it is actually yeah after, after a late night. Yeah. No, no, we're here at the Breeze of Sales. Um, no, listen, it was brilliant yesterday. Um, I, I'm still in shock actually. Um, just like for George and the team and, and Jake and what they've done is just amazing, you know. I have been having a pretty good dig into this pedigree, and I'm trying to think to myself, if I were in John's shoes, what would I have seen in here that would have made me think, yeah, this is a this is a mare worth taking and going forward with. So, so tell me the story. How did you how did you come by her? Um, when I go to the December sales each year, I always try to buy my few mares. Um, I suppose I'll be buying the. It depends on the price in, in, in a lot of cases, but she was by Tefilio, and she was in full to claim and first season, I suppose. I have a love for, for buying mares in full to first season stallions. And um, I suppose that's where the, the strong point that, that, that led me to in the first place, you know. Um, I'm a big fan of the sire, you know, as in the broodmare sire. I've treated them at home now, so hopefully fingers crossed. Hopefully fingers crossed there's some more there. And, uh, but, her, you know I mean? but the mare's a gem, you know what I mean? She is a gem overall. And, and I remember when Cassie was born, it, it was just a... A magnificent fold herself. So, when you when you say the mare's a gem, is that is that to look at to do anything with? Just as a is she, is she just a, a sort of kind horse? She's a kind horse, like she's a good big scopey mare. You know what I mean? Um, and she's just a gem. You know what I mean? She's just a quite a mare, like to, to have around. You know, she gets a good big fold. Um, she had a mammoth colt only last week, last Monday, and uh, it was it's one of the biggest folds I have on the farm. And I'm not saying that because of. Of Cashy, but no, it, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant fall. So, no, no, she gets good stock. And I have a lovely Cote Glory Philly yearling um, going to yearling sales now this uh, this autumn. So, fingers crossed. We uh, have to show it to Jake and George Boy. Uh, and of course, this doesn't this change the dynamic for you a bit, John? Because you, the, the stallions you've used, the claim was a, a really good seven furlong horse. So, you know, you could think, well, might get a Guinea's horse. Cote Glory is sprinter. Memas basically a sprinter. Um, uh, does it change the game for you? Because you're now going to be courted by every smart stallion master and every smart stallion going, and and it, it's going to be it's going to be a different kind of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, small bit, yeah, like a small bit. It's, listen, we 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 just sell these at the sales. I'm a big fan of putting speed on top of a bit of staying, you know. So, um, like Hikley bought another good horse off last year, and he was a name sort of a wood house of the master craft on there. So, I suppose. Tally Ho will be on the phone to me, <laughs> Roger. But listen, it's brilliant for small breeders, and that's it keeps us all in the game. It keeps us all small, small people in the game, you know. So, so, so did you? So, sorry, did you say she was in foal now? 
No, she had a she had a cold fall only about ten days ago. Ah, and so she's not covered yet. Um, so I've nothing. She's not booked into anything yet. So she might be going to play, acclaim or tally ho or whatever. But um, it's not um, nothing decided yet. Yeah, you, you haven't had the uh, the wooden bassets of this world on the phone to you or the Dubawis. No, 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 no. I know I would have said one small breeder, but uh, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. We'll we'll get this weekend out and get these breeze ups here sold in 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 board in in the test and get home and think about it. You know. I mean, is this the is this the best day in your in your life in Bloodstock? Oh, totally, oh, totally. Like, like I'm still in shock this morning. I, I, I actually am, and I'm not saying it because I'm on the phone here. It's just I am still in shock. This is the winners. I bought Mister Angel as a yearling soldier. Um, she failed the vet four times as a breeze up, and I, I could only get forty one thousand for it. You know what I mean? Um, you know what I mean? Oh no, sorry, sorry. So twenty four thousand. There's forty one owners now then, and. Um, and I couldn't sell her as a breeze up, and listen, she did as proud. And but breeding this is the best I've bred. You know what I mean? Um, but listen, I love getting winners at the track, like more so even the sailing. Like, and, do you know what I mean? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's fantastic just for the owners, and, and that's what I love about the game: just keeping the owners happy and you know having these big days. And so, and someday, then someday, hopefully, and it has, and it will again. Hopefully, you you get a good mare like this. You know. So, um, as I said, as I said a minute ago, it keeps us small breeders in the game. So it does. Well, it is a it is a, a funny game sometimes. Um, uh, Prosperous Voyage ran a, an amazing race in second to Cachet, uh, but you've just been hearing the story from John there about Poil Sophie, the dam of the winner. Well, the dam of the winner was originally trained like all the horses with the Poil prefix by Rafe Beckett, who ironically enough had the second. Prosperous voyage, who who runs such a good race? Uh, they're sixteen to one and thirty three to one. Rafe, I don't suppose the irony was lost on you. For all you were, must have been thrilled with the way your filly ran. Not at all. Not at all, um, Nick. It was a it was a terrific run by our filly. We sort of knew she would run a good race. She'd done a, a good bit of work uh, nine or ten days previously, or over six furlongs on the grass here with a new mandate who who won the. Um, listed race to ask it in the week so uh we were pretty confident that she was going to run a race um despite not having, having had a prep and had a tough winter you have seen in the paddock she'd only just came in her coat so um um hopefully uh she'll come on for it as well we sort of planned to run here and then the St. Valerie and that's still the plan I'm pretty sure she gets she'll get a mile and a quarter um, certainly a style of running would suggest that she will. We didn't put her in the oaks because uh, I never felt that that, that, would, that would fit, um, and I still don't. So uh, we'll think about the Irish 1000 and the, and the St. Allery and, uh, and either or of those and then go on from there, I think. As far as Cache is concerned, as you, as I said, you you trained most of the the, the Poils who who've done their breeders proud over the years. And I I guess you sort of feel for them for 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 letting her go as much as you congratulate John Burke for buying her for three grand. Absolutely, she was absolutely useless, Poil Sophie. <laughs> I mean, I could run faster <laughs> than her in wellies, um, and she was bred and owned by a lovely man called Cecil Wiggins. Who had a who bred all his horses at Poyle? I don't know if you know where Poyle is. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's basically the end of the Heathrow runway, 
um, just that's just the other side of the M25 between the M3 and the M4 junctions. And uh, he had a terrible stammer, Cecil. And I used to go every year, look at the yearlings, and he'd stammer away. And just as he was about to tell me what was what, uh, a plane would come over and he'd go, hang on, there's a plane coming. (laughs) (laughs) And then then, then we we eventually get it. So looking at the horses used to take about, used to take about 10 minutes longer than it should have done, but... He was a lovely man. I love training for him. And uh, Alison, his daughter, who's still about, uh, I hope she's very proud this morning. Oh, I hope so. I really do. And I hope they've still got some of that, or at least a branch of that of that family as well, to uh, to get a to get a good pedigree update. Um, I, I, you've been in the news not just for for training a very honourable runner up in the in the Guineas and once training the Dam of the Winner, but also in, in your role as president of the National Trainers Federation. There was a, an interesting piece by Bill Barber because everything's been going on this weekend. People might have missed it in the in the Racing Post this morning about a possible uh, cut of three hundred races next year in order to try and sort out this field size um, problem. Now, your chief executive Paul Johnson, fairly new chief executive, seemed to suggest that that the NTF was pretty well four square behind this this idea is that the case from your perspective as the as the president certainly yeah, it's got to happen nick yeah the race courses won't want it but anybody else standing in the way of it really needs their head examined you know this is this is this should be fate accomplished stuff you know everybody saw the field sizes uh through the winter um, and any, uh, um, you know, I think uh, there's a notable, notice, noticeable silence on uh, from Mark over over the field sizes this winter. You know, given they wanted to add their extra races. You know, I don't think anybody thinks that was the wrong decision to kick out that arc deal last October. And uh, we should be pushing hard for this. Three hundred races. What is three hundred races, really? You know, and uh, they'll still be able to divide. Well, it's 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 forty two fixtures basically, isn't it? Or well, forty fixtures? I mean, it's it's you know, it's cutting it's cutting a tiny bit off at the margin, when really we should be cutting a slice off. Um, but you know, we've been through this before. The, the race courses. I've got to prove that they're int- they have the long-term interests of the sport at heart. And when are they going to do that? Yeah, it's interesting. I I had David Armstrong on my Sunday program yesterday, the chief executive of the of the Racecourse Association, and he conceded that it was, as he put it, a definite possibility. I mean, I said it was a strong likelihood, but he said definite possibility that prize money in twenty twenty three would be worse than it is in twenty twenty two. Having, uh, you know. T- the sport having trumpeted last week that this would be a sort of record prize money year. It's pretty sobering to get that, that, that straight up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I can't say what I, all of what I know, Nick, but unbelievably, it's not just the race courses who are opposing this idea. It's not just the race courses who are opposing it. Some of the race courses are in favour of it. Obviously, Ark aren't, and neither are their, neither are their allies. Um, yeah, so you you can't really sort of say who the other key stakeholders that are that that are against it are, but um, I think everyone can probably read between the lines. 
you can work it out, mate. And Rafe, we've been in similar situations before, and you've had plenty of experience of this as well. Last year, ARC were proposing nine race cards, which the NTF, you particularly were quite vociferous about pushing back on, and you you had a victory in, in, in that regard. Uh, ARC were supported in their aims in that by other constituent parts of the of the horsemen's group uh, such as the ROA what's your your feeling here what's your gut feeling as to whether you'll be successful in getting this 300 race slice off the fixture list well i think there are elements in the horsemen's group who are capable of of uh, making this happen so you you just need to bring them with you basically well i'm not in charge i'm not on the horsemen's group <laughs> so how does that work then? You're the president of the NTF and you're not on the horseman's group? No, but Paul Johnson is. Uh, okay, fine, okay. And he's a very effective chief executive. And um, it's my belief that eventually this will happen. I'm, I sort of feel like we're, we're um, this is, might just be chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> You're normally right about these things then. Well, I don't know. By the time we get to the end of the first novella, we'll say, well, that's just the first book. I hope I sincerely hope you're wrong and this isn't the first. I hope it's the first and the last and that um, this gets pushed through quickly and effectively. Well, an ever interesting Rafe Beckett there, trainer of yesterday's Guineas runner up, once the trainer of the dam of the Guineas winner, and most pertinently for the purposes of this part of the show, president of the National Trainers Federation. And it sounds as though the NTF Dave Yates need to lead some of their fellow horsemen uh, if they're going to achieve the objective of slicing 300 races off the fixture list uh, what do you think i think it's essentially a question of short-term pain for long-term gain this the figures are as follows 300 races proposed to be cut from the fixture list now 10,354 races were run in 2021 so that represents a cut of 2.9% I think that's a, 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 a fair cut under the circumstances just to, to let you know uh, Richard Wayman's thinking on this he's quoted by bill barber in the racing post saying there have been too many occasions in recent months when field sizes have been below where we would like them to be and it is important that action is taken to tackle what has become an increasingly concerning trend well i think all of us would agree with that all of us who have followed racing over the last uh, two or three years have noticed that the field sizes aren't where uh, we would like them to be uh, paul johnson of the uh, uh, National Trainers Federation, uh, quoted by Bill Barber, said, although it's recognised that any reduction in race volume would impact prize money in the short term, the NTFU continues to be that the sport needs to act now to look after the long-term good of the sport. So, yes, there will be opposition uh, for those who don't want to see um, racing hit in the pocket in the short term. But I think, well, certainly my view, I'm not foisting my view on others, uh, Nick, but uh, from my perspective, I think that that's a hit worth taking. What we need in, in the medium to long term is for racing day to day to be a compelling sport that interests punters and attracts people who want to watch it and bet on it. And the trend of the last couple of years, unless that's arrested, I think that that is going to be uh, a very difficult thing to pull off if we're just serving up four, five, six runner races 
date one day to the next. And Dave, what would you like to bet on uh, today? I would like to bet on number one in the 451 race at Bath, Jack Meister Rudy. This is a son of Churchill, trained by the ever underrated, I would say, Dave Evans. Uh, was last of nine on handicap debut at Kempton at the end of March, but then was an unlucky in running third over the extended five furlongs at Bath last time. Same mark here, and I hope that Jack Meister Rudy can mark his sixth appearance on a race course with a first victory. 4.51 race at Bath, selection is number one, Jack Meister Rudy. Uh, David, thank you very much. That was Monday, May the 2nd. Uh, Tom will be in the hot seat tomorrow as I am off to Kentucky, uh, but I'm making a few contributions to the show, and then I'll be back with you from Louisville on Wednesday. Um, Thanks very much for listening. Don't forget, if you do enjoy the show, please do tell your friends about it. Uh, And before you do that, maybe you would be kind enough to give us a rating and a review on any of your podcast platforms. Uh, That's it for Monday, May the 2nd. We will catch you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.